We'll be looking today at the end of Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Let's give our attention now to the reading and the hearing of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word from Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for preserving it for us that we might have it today. We've heard it read in a familiar language. And so, Lord, we've understood the words, but we come to you and ask for more than physical understanding. Lord, we need spiritual ears to hear. We need you by your spirit to work in our hearts that we might understand and apply your word. So, Father, I pray for your people here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would be at work in their hearts. Lord, make them, make me more and more like Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would also help me, your servant, protect me from error. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you. Oh God, you are our rock and you are our redeemer. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Back in 1936, when it was first launched out to sea, the Queen Mary was the largest ship to ever cross the oceans. Through four decades and one world war, the ship served faithfully until it was retired. It was decommissioned and it was anchored as a floating hotel and museum in Long Beach, California. Maybe some of you have seen it there. Well, during that conversion, when the Queen Mary was converted to a hotel, they took her three massive smokestacks, right? They took them off so that they could be scraped down and repainted. But there was one big problem. Perhaps we should call it a huge problem. As the workers started to scrape the paint off the stacks, the stacks began to crumble. Holes started to develop as they scraped away. And before you knew it, they fell down and crashed right before the worker's eyes. You see that three quarter inch steel that at one time made up those stacks had now been rusted away. And all that remained and what kept it intact all this time was they estimated 30 coats of paint. 30 repeated coats of paint applied over the years to just mask all the rust 
that had formed below the surface. So far in Luke chapter 6, Jesus has given instructions, instructions to his disciples on how they are to live faithfully, to have faithful lives for him and his kingdom, from loving their neighbors to forgiving others to producing good spiritual fruit. Jesus had not only been calling his followers to a transformed way of living, but he had also, while doing so, been calling them to some radical self-examination, calling them to look inside. And at the heart of Jesus's concern lies a concern that still persists even today. What do you think that concern is? It's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the concern here in this text. You see, Jesus knows that the world is full of rusted out, painted over smokestacks. In other places, he calls them whitewashed tombs, right? He knows that there are people whose words make them appear strong and faithful. But he also knows that for some, those words only serve to cover up, to mask the rust and the rot that lies beneath the surface. Jesus knows that all it takes is a little bit of scraping, just a little bit of external pressure. And when that happens, what at first glance might seem to be strong and stable will ultimately crumble to pieces and fall to the ground. In his own words, great ruin. Our text this morning, Jesus aims as he always does. He aims right for the heart and he calls out this type of hypocrisy. This is a short text and the layout is very simple. So we'll study it together simply. First, we'll look at the troubling contradiction, the troubling contradiction that Jesus introduces in verse 46. That's our first point, troubling contradiction. Then second, we'll consider the challenging parable in verses 47 through 49. That's our second point this morning, the challenging parable. It's a parable that highlights the contrast between the wise and the foolish builder. So we have the troubling contradiction and the challenging parable. My hope is that when we reach the end this morning, all of us whether we're young or not so young anymore, I'll refrain from calling you old, but I'll call myself old. All of us, my prayer is that all of us will weigh the implications of Jesus's call to action because he does call to action. And I pray that we'll be challenged and encouraged to heed that call in our own lives. So let's begin then with the first point, the troubling contradiction. Look there again in verse 46, it's there. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you come to me and call me Lord or master? Why do you come to me and call me that and not do what I've taught you to do. These are the words that introduce the parable that Jesus is about to tell. And with these words, Jesus is imagining someone who we might say it today, talks the talk, but does not walk 
the walk. Their speech, their confession says that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who rules and reigns over my life. I submit myself to you. I've sang, I surrender all a thousand times today. I belong to you. I'm going to do what your word tells me to do. But they don't. They don't do what he commands. That's a contradiction, a troubling contradiction at that. So I'm gonna say something that might surprise you. Jesus is pretty serious about our obedience. (gasps) Did he say that? Jesus is very serious about our obedience. And I'm amazed at how many people don't want to hear that. So many people don't wanna hear that. In fact, it's my experience that a lot of people in today's world, they want Jesus but they don't want a Jesus that makes demands of their lives. They want Jesus, but they don't want Jesus who is Lord of their lives. They wanna hear the sweet and affirming words, but they recoil when you tell them that Jesus has very clear and very explicit expectations about the ways that we are supposed to live our lives. Most people just wanna believe that we're free. We're free to live however we want to. We can make up our own personal spiritual rules. I can have Jesus and he just wants me to love him and whatever I do doesn't matter as long as I love him. Have you heard that before? Maybe you're here this morning and you say that. Maybe you say that. It's me and Jesus on my terms. We set our own terms. I don't know. It's not what the Bible says. Jesus tells us how we're to live and Jesus calls us to obedience. He fully expects that those whom he has died for will respond to his saving grace, not with a life of apathy, not with a life of rebellion, but with a life of grateful obedience. So to put it another way, Jesus is asking this, why do you profess to have a personal relationship with me when you don't listen to me? Why do you profess to have a personal relationship with me and not follow my commands? Well, there's no ducking this question. I might've wanted to return to the pulpit with something a little more cheery and happy, but this is the text. This is where we are. There's no ducking this question, friends. We can say whatever we want to make ourselves look better to make ourselves look more respectable. But ultimately, Jesus will know the answer, not by what we say, but by what we do. So we come face to face with this troubling contradiction, a desire to have a relationship with Jesus, but an unwillingness to do what he commands And I understand pastorally, even just being a friends to each other, right? Being brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to come alongside each other and we hear all kinds of things, right? Maybe some people, a newer Christian or someone who hasn't really studied the word, they would plead ignorance and say, well, I I don't know exactly what Jesus has commanded from me. Where would I even figure that out? I love it when people ask that question, right? He said it here. In his word, open his word. Go to the gospels where his words are recorded. 
And you're gonna hear things like, you must be born again. Repent of your sins. Come to me. Believe in me. Love me. Listen to me. Abide in me. Take up your cross and follow me. Worship in spirit and in truth. Always pray and do not lose heart. Love your enemies. Strive to enter the narrow way. And so on and so forth. Jesus has given us these and even more to help us know how we're supposed to live in light of our relationship with him. But even more of us, this probably represents most of us here, will hear commands like these and we'll just throw up our arms and say, who can even do these things? What in the world? Who can do this? I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I just can't do it. How can I love my neighbor as myself when I don't even love myself? How can I abide in you, Jesus, when I don't really like you and I don't really like what you're doing in my life right now? How can I keep on praying and not be discouraged when I never seem to get the answers that I'm hoping for? Why, Jesus? Any of you ever felt like that? I know I have. Perhaps that's you this morning. In fact, it's all of us, right? It's all of us. We're pretty overwhelmed, aren't we? When we stop and consider all that Jesus has commanded us to do. John Piper wrote a book and like Dr. Piper, it's very uh, full of words and it's very long, right? And it's called What Jesus Demands of the World. And I remember when I read that long ago when I was coming to grips with all the things that Jesus has said for us to do. I remember working my way through that book and the word at the same time and just throwing my hands up in the air. I'm like, wow, how can anyone do this? And I remember a good friend came alongside me and he said, what a blessing it is to be full of despair. <laughs> Thanks, friend. <laughs> Thanks for lifting me up. But he's right. So let me tell you this. It's a blessing to be brought to that place. You know, the woe is me. How could I possibly do this? Because if you feel that tension, listen, if you feel that tension, if you feel that desire to honor Jesus and honor his word and do what he's commanded, but at the same time, you feel that lack of discouragement from being able to do it, then you should give thanks. And you should praise God. And you're still looking at me like, why? Because it's very clear evidence that God is working in your heart. It's the unbeliever who says, I don't care what Jesus tells me to do. I did it my way. I'm not going to sing. I'll do it my way or I'll do it on our terms. Yeah, thanks for telling me what Jesus said in that old book. But he and I had a conversation I've never got anyone to really tell me how that went, but they'll say they had a conversation. We've, we've agreed on this. But if you're wrestling and you're going, man, I know what Jesus' word says. I wanna be obedient. I'm striving to be obedient in his grace, but I, I'm failing so much. Praise God. The fact that you desire to obey him is fruit. Listen, there's all kinds of reasons why we struggle with our obedience. 
But Jesus is not addressing here those that are struggling. He's not addressing those who don't strive to be obedient. Listen, when I say strive, I don't mean in our own strength. We'll get to that in a minute. We're striving by the Spirit's help. Jesus is clearly addressing the people who don't care. He's addressing those that disregard obedience altogether. So let me ask this question. Do you have a desire to do what Jesus has commanded? Do you have a desire to follow him? If yes, then keep seeking him. Keep following after him with all your heart. Trust in him, knowing that your obedience is not contingent upon your own abilities. Know that your obedience is perfected in his perfect obedience as your faithful high priest. So when you fail, you repent of your failures, right? You confess your sins and you repent and you, you're honest in your questions to him and you rejoice at God's work in your heart to give you that desire. And then you trust the Holy Spirit to cultivate that fruit in you. I've used this illustration many times, so tune me out for a second if you have to. But if all you do is stand in the mirror and say, you better get better, buddy. You stink. You're not doing good enough. That's like throwing a bunch of seeds on the ground at, at planting time and spending this next several months just standing there and yelling at them. Grow, 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 you must grow, but you're never doing anything to put them in good soil, give them the water that they need, take the weeds out. It's futile. Standing there and yelling at yourself to do more and more will not accomplish gospel fruit. But reading God's word, understanding his word, applying it to your life, striving to live faithfully for him, asking for forgiveness when you fail, repenting when you fail, and continuing to run hard after him in the spirit's strength will produce much spiritual fruit. So don't become discouraged in your lack of ability because we all have lack of ability, right? Don't be discouraged in that. Be reminded of the grace of the gospel that tells us that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. We've been set free from bondage to sin and death and we're now God's workmanship. As Christians, you're not always gonna be able to see the progress. You're not always gonna be able to see that progress in obedience that you hoped for. But listen, judge yourself based on how God judges you. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. Don't heap condemnation and shame upon yourself. Trust and run towards him and his strength. And I think that's probably most of us. But listen, if you're here this morning and you only say that you love Jesus, but you have no desire. I mean, really deep down, you have no desire. Maybe you have no intention to do what he commands. Maybe you don't even care what he has commanded. And I would challenge you to take a moment, examine your life. And I would call you to repent and believe the gospel. J.C. Ryle, the pastor and author, he said it well when he said this. He said, it is not talking about Christ that makes a person a Christian, but living for Christ by faith. Obedience, he continues, obedience is the only sound evidence of saving faith. And the talk of the lips is worse than useless if it is not accompanied by sanctification in this life. You see, it's not merely enough to talk the talk. God has called us to walk 
the walk. Or maybe we could say it as James does in 122. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So you can say what you want. You can apply as many coats of paint as you think are necessary to cover up all the rot and all the rust, but Jesus knows what lies beneath. You might fool man, but you will not fool God. Jesus knows. He knows your heart. So if you really love Jesus, you will desire to obey him. Anything else is hypocrisy. So on that happy note, we'll go to the second point. Continuing, verses 47 through 49, Jesus illustrates this troubling contradiction for us in the form of a challenging parable. That's that second point this morning, the challenging parable. And in this parable, Jesus is laying out a pretty simple principle to continue on what we've already said. He says, the one who has a relationship with him and does what he says is like a man who builds his house on the rock, giving it a firm foundation so that it can withstand the days of flooding. But he says, the one who hears his words and then disregards them is like a man who builds a house without a firm foundation, only to see it ruined in the days of flooding. Now, when we hear that a man built a house, the first thing that probably comes to your mind is what come to my mind. We just built a house a few years ago, right? I think, okay, you gotta get the backhoe out there, whatever those things are called, big equipment. I'm not good at this. Uh, dig the foundation. They have to pour concrete footers, right? The cement truck comes out, that really awesome pipe thing, and it's just amazing. And then what happens, right? They start, all the stuff gets delivered on trucks, <laughs> show up and little cranes get everything in the right place. And then a bunch of men and women, they, they come there and then they start putting it together and they use all kinds of tools that I'm probably not allowed to have, like saws and drills and other kinds of things. Uh, I'm not kidding. And, and so they do all this and then it's done, right? And it's this amazing thing. Put yourself in the sandals of the hearers of Jesus here. That wasn't the case. I know, you're, you're thinking, duh. <laughs> but it wasn't the case. For a moment, imagine how stressful and difficult building would be without any modern day machinery or power equipment. Think about that. In Jesus' day, villagers were very specific when they built. They actually only built in the dry, warm days of the summer. See, the rains came in the winter, so no one wanted to mess with it then because the rains fall on the mountains and come down and just wash things away even while you're trying to get it together. So they knew to wait until those warm, dry days of summer. But in the summer, what happens? That top layer of soil becomes hard. It has to be dug through. It's full of clay. In fact, some have said it feels like metal. But you have to build on the rock, You've got to find the rock. So you have to dig and dig and dig and break the land until you find it. Now imagine that you're the builder. You don't have any of the things that we have today. It's just you and your hand tools. You hit the ground with your pickaxe or whatever you have. You barely make a dent. You think to yourself, this is gonna take weeks. This is gonna take even months. What's gonna go through your mind? I probably should have marked the spot earlier. 
right? <laughs> That's what I always think when I think about this. I probably should have marked where that solid rock was, but let's say you've just moved there. You're trying to figure out where to build. What would be your temptation? I think this is what Jesus is getting at. I wanna take the path of least resistance, right? Surely somewhere beneath all of this hard clay, there has to be solid rock, right? I remember we visited here a few months ago and there was solid rock. This has to be it. So why not just go ahead and build the house right here on the ground and we'll just trust that when things give way, it'll end up settling on the solid rock. So on the surface, and the pun is intended there, on the surface, that sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? You're like, no. Right? Because you're like, that's foolish. Likewise, the people hearing Jesus' voice at this moment knows that it's foolish. You always dig until you hit rock. Whether that meant digging a foot or 10 feet, you always dig until you hit rock. Everybody knew that. Even the kids there knew that. They had to be thinking, this person is a fool. And that's what makes this parable come alive. By telling it, Jesus reveals the truth that every single one of us is a builder. But we're not all builders of the same quality. Some are digging deep foundations borrow from my construction friends here, the footers are laced with rebar and tied with steel and filled with concrete. How'd I do? That makes, okay, okay. The home built upon that is constructed well, right? It's got good plans, using good materials. It's built with a keen eye toward withstanding the storms and withstanding the floods. Those are the wise builders, the foolish builders, the rusted out, painted over hypocrites are constructing homes with little to no foundation at all. It's questionable workmanship. The quality of work doesn't think about endurance. It doesn't think about threats, but just throws something up as quickly as possible. It hides mistakes with a facade of strength and respectability. And like a castle made of sand, here I'll quote Jimi Hendrix, it falls in the sea eventually. It falls in the sea eventually. So here's the main point of Jesus' parable. Everybody is building. Everybody is always building. Either we're wise builders, building on the rock of Christ and his word, or we're foolish builders, building on what we think is right with our own eyes. So let me ask you this. What kind of builder are you? What kind of builder are you? Because you're building. You're building your life in Christ one decision at a time, one word at a time, one thought at a time, one prayer at a time, one worship service at a time, one Bible study at a time, one act of kindness and one generous gift at a time, one act of mercy, one act of compassion, one act of honesty, one expression of love each and every time, one act of forgiveness, one act of hope, one desire to glorify God at a time. You build and you build and you build. And if you're building your house upon obedience to Jesus, then you're a wise builder. 
but there are those who build their house without a foundation under it. They do it with poor materials and shoddy workmanship. That shortcut they take requires unfaithful compromise of the truth. Perhaps it's treasured anger, deeply cutting words, forgiveness that's withheld, indifference to the needs of others, selfishness, expediency, cold shoulders and cruel criticism, gossip, slander, malice, abandonment of hope, ignoring God's word, trivializing spiritual matters, withholding gifts, violating sacred relationships, neglecting children, lackadaisical commitments to your brothers and sisters in the faith and to the church, building and building and building houses on a disregard for and a disobedience to Jesus. These are the foolish builders. Do you see the juxtaposition between the wise and the fool? So what kind of builder are you? If you haven't figured this out already, know this, the floods will come. The floods will come. Maybe it'll be a flood, a physical catastrophe like that. Maybe some type of loss. Maybe a dreaded diagnosis, a failed business, a troubled relationship, a conflict, an addiction, a depression. The floods will come in many forms. And your house must be built to withstand. It must be built to withstand. So will your house stand? Will it stand or will it crumble to the ground and prove to have only been that facade of faithfulness and strength? So I'll ask again, what kind of builder are you? What kind of builder are you? So that leaves us this morning with, I think, a very clear call to action. How are we going to respond to these words of Jesus? Well, I think it begins uh, with personal reflection. It begins with looking inside. We need to pray and we need to ask God to give us wisdom. We need him to give us strength. We need to get him to give us blessing to understand his word, to do what Jesus asks of us. We need to confess sin where we have sinned and we need to embrace his forgiveness. We need to acknowledge that we cannot do it on our own. Some of you need to hear that. You can't do it on your own. You can't. You must depend on the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us to lead us in paths of righteousness. Listen, if all you hear in a message like this is do, 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 I'm just not doing enough, you didn't listen. I'm telling you, you can't, but you will when you depend on Christ and his strength given to you by the Holy Spirit. And listen, keep building, keep building, or just start building, build. I don't, you may have to dig a foot, you may have to dig 10 feet. I think I had to dig 25, right? But the rock that is Jesus Christ, he is there, he won't fail you. He's there. If you've believed in him, he's revealed himself to you and he's told you, look, this is what I want you to do. I'm gonna give you the spirit and the power to do it, but I want you to live faithfully for me. 
Live for me. Represent me. Be my ambassador, right? Live for me. It is worth it, friends. It is worth it. Don't build your house on the sinking sand that can just be washed away, but build your house on the rock of Christ. What kind of builder will you be? Amen and amen. Would you grab your bullets?